going to take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, welcome into another episode of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. I'm Jeff Goodman. He's Bob Ryan, and we're joined by, you know, you try to be objective, Bob, when you do this job, right? You try, but some... Sometimes you just can't be objective. And that's how I am with T.J. McConnell. That, that, absolutely, that's how I am. I'll admit it. Um, you know, we're both Arizona Wildcats. One did a little bit more to help the Arizona program than the other. Um, but, you know, listen, I, I'll go back to maybe my favorite story involving T.J. McConnell, Bob. And he had graduated from Arizona. And I don't know if he even remembers this. But he graduated and he called me maybe, I don't know, two weeks after, TJ, I don't know if you remember this at all, and you asked me, you said, hey, do you think I, I can play in the league? Like, do you think I can play in the league? And I said, hell yeah. Like, at the time, Matthew Della Vadova was playing like 30 minutes for Cleveland in the playoffs, and I said that to you. I said, listen, you're not the same player. We know that. But absolutely, you can play in the league because you're an elite defender, you're tough as shit, and you're going to get better shooting the basketball. And uh, now, T.J. McConnell, you are, what, going to go into year seven in the NBA now? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the best part is the first game T.J. played, Bob, was where? In the Garden, in Boston. Yeah, huh. it did not go well. I'll tell you that much, though. <laughs> but you know what? I don't know if it mattered. You were so happy when I walked in the locker room, the smile on your face that you're on an NBA team, you know, playing for an NBA team that day was like, I don't think it mattered to you whether you played well or not. You were on a team. It was, it, it's a hell of a story, TJ. It's a hell of a story. And, uh, again, I'm not objective. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, you know what I think of you as a person. You know what I think of you as how hard you've worked. And uh, you just got to get paid now. You got to get paid. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just a waiting game right now, honestly. Um, just trying to work out and spend some much-needed time with uh, my five-month-old son and my wife, um, you know, you know this, the, the season's a grind. So um, just spending some necessary time with them and, and trying to, you know, work my butt off and just enjoy life. I have to ask you, uh, as a basketball person, uh, I assume you watched the game last night. Yep. Just your impression. It, 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 so we could go any number of different directions about about stuff to talk about, individual stuff, uh, the the half hour it took to play two minutes, the five yeah. reviews, whatever. but what was your personal takeaway and, and, and impression of that, that game and the ending? Um, well, I, I had the opportunity to play for Monty, Monty Williams. He was an assistant coach in Philly uh, for my last year. And um, you just knew um, when he took that son's job that he was going to really turn that place around. Now, did I think they were going to go to the Western Conference Finals in his second year? No. But, I mean, the respect that he commands in the locker room, the way he treats his players, you know, they, if you see the way they play, they like playing for him. And he's taken that Suns team and just have com- – he's completely elevated them. And you got to give James Jones credit. Um, he, he built um, a nice team with them. And, 
and they're learning how to win. And, and it's, it's great to see. I, I really like watching them play. As a fan, TJ, are, are you like some of the rest of us of like, I'm not tired of seeing LeBron at all or, or some of these other guys that have been in there every year, but it's refreshing to see some of the young guys, you know, whether it is DeAndre Ayton, your, your Arizona uh, alum, whether it is uh, Devin Booker, and what he's able to do, or even like a kid like Terrence Mann going off for the Clippers. I don't know. I feel it's refreshing to see some new faces, you know, Giannis, Trey Young. Um, I, I think it's fun. No, I, I completely agree. I was just talking to J.J. Redick about this yesterday. And, you know, there's this parody in the league that, like, LeBron or the Warriors uh, or or whatever, they were, in, <laughs> they were in the finals, like, every year. And I, I'm with you, like, Obviously, it's it's great to see LeBron's greatness in the in the in the playoffs and in the finals. But to have the four teams left um, that, you know, they haven't won a ring, two of them never and the other two for a very long time. I think it's I think it's great for the league and it's fun to watch, in my opinion. I got to ask you about a guy that, that was very prominent in the game and had his team won would have been, you know, cited as such. What is it like to play against Patrick Beverly? I feel like I feel like Patrick Beverly is one of the best competitors in the NBA. I mean, he his energy is contagious and and people feed off that and it gets his team going. Um, I really respect the way he plays because I try to play that way. And, um, you know, I just love what he brings to the table for his team and does all the dirty work that doesn't really necessarily show up on a stat sheet. And um you know, that's great. So every team needs a player like that. Yeah, well, so I remember as a Celtic person, if you will, of uh, watching you and, 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 and Philly, I said, he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and I, I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I, I love you. Love your game. I remember you from Arizona, but I said, I said, Philly, he's a pain in the ass, you know, and, and, but not to the degree that Beverly is, he's in the class, <laughs> he's the gold standard of pain in the ass as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, I would say he's probably the biggest pain in the ass in the league. And I'm saying that as a compliment, but Me too. Um, yeah, but I feel like when you're playing the way he plays, the way I play, just getting under people's skin and, and bothering them and throwing them off their game, you know, that it, that's an underrated thing to do. If you can get someone to, you know, get three early fouls or throw up bad shots. I mean, that's that he does a good job of that and he, he really helps his team. And then he threw in uh, and a little cherry in the Sunday. He made some threes. One hundred percent. He and Rondo kept them alive, and they just wouldn't. You know, you know, you know, we like to say they wouldn't go away. They, 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 they wouldn't let it. Uh, you know, Phoenix to get out of sight. They wouldn't. They never. The biggest deficit was nine, and and then the fourth quarter was. What's that? But they made those threes. Those guys, those two, kept them alive to give them a chance to win. But but when he's when they're when he's adding on, and same with Rondo. When Rondo's adding making threes in addition to what he already does, you know, that really you know they're really a threat. Oh, absolutely. Those two guys are you know just the ultimate competitors, and they step up in big moments. You know, they're not afraid of taking those shots in the big moments, and that's why they're out there, and that's why, um, you know, their names are as big as they are because they have showed time and time again that they're not afraid of the moment. I mean, Rondo, what he's done in the playoffs um, these last few years and throughout his career is nothing short of remarkable. You know, he's been, he's been tremendous. TJ, who, who's your pick to win, win it all now? I mean, obviously you look at, you know, Clippers without Kawhi down 2-0. 
Uh, you got the Hawks Milwaukee series starting up. I I said Milwaukee last week. I just you know why? I just felt like they were the healthiest team. And, and I feel like this year it's just kind of a war of attrition. Like whoever is going to be healthiest is going to have the best shot. Now again, Phoenix gets Chris Paul back. They'll be healthy when it matters and and likely get to the NBA Finals unless something crazy happens. But I just felt like even though Milwaukee has some warts, right? And and Giannis, the hard part right now is it's hard to put the ball in his hands at the end of a game because of his free throw shooting. But they got a reliable number two who's more than willing and capable to step up when you put it in his hands. So I like Milwaukee. Who do you like right now? Tough question for me because I I do like Milwaukee as well. But – I played for Nate McMillan last year and I'm a really big fan of his, you know, I'm a fan of Nate. I'm a fan of Monty. Um, It would cool to be, to see those two go up against each other in the finals, but I don't know. I feel like people are kind of writing off the Clippers because no Kawhi, but um, you know, I feel like every series has started out this way for them. They lose two on the road and everyone kind of writes them off and then here they come right back. So I don't really have an answer for you because I mean, I feel like the Clippers could, very well, even up this series. Paul George is playing at a big-time level. We have to get to your fellow Wildcat. Uh, I have a category, TJ, for uh, bigs. I call them UB, useful big. If you're a useful big, that's the, that's the minimum standard. That, and I think he's been that. Now he's in the new category, PDG. Pretty damn good. And he's on his, he's on his way to F good. I mean, that he's yeah. he really is coming out before the world's eyes. I mean, and, and elevating his game that one sequence last night, you know, when he blocked the shot, made a miraculous save, yeah. went down the other end of the court and, and in traffic made, made the, the alley-oop and then came back and, and, and made the uh, back tap on the rebound for the basket, all that within a minute. I'm thinking Jeff Van Gundy must've been going apoplectically out of his <laughs> mind because he couldn't say about anything about it. They were talking to the sideline reporter. <laughs> yeah, jacking, not that she doesn't do her job. And I'm thinking, Jeff, were you thinking about it? Van Gundy must be going nuts because yeah. he wants to talk about what he's just seeing, yeah. which is a phenomenal stretch yeah. of basketball. Anyway, I've been on the soapbox. Aiton, what's your impression of Aiton? I have been a fan of him, you know, ever since his Arizona days, obviously. And I feel like with with young guys, you know, people forget when they come in. How 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 old is he? Twenty twenty one? Like yet? He's twenty two. Yeah. 22 like um, they 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 think he should come in and just dominate right away and like sometimes with you know young players it takes them a year or two to find themselves and he really looks like the game is just slowing down for him and he's 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 um finding his way doing what his team needs him to do and just playing on both ends uh it's really impressive to see the growth that he's he's gone from year one to now This episode of the Ryan and Goodman podcast is brought to you by LinkedIn. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Because they are focused on managing and growing their business, they can't always spend the time that they wish on recruiting. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made things easier than ever for you to find and hire the best candidates for free. Get started by posting your job for free on LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screen questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with experience, skills, and motivation that you need. Then use simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you wish to interview, and it is that easy. 
LinkedIn jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is absolutely free. LinkedIn.com slash scribe. Again, that is LinkedIn.com slash scribe to post your first job for free. All right, let, let's go back to your career a little bit. I, I want to start with, with your rookie year and what it was like. I mean, you're on a Sixers team and the process and all that. You win 10 games. You win 10 games. But again, you're probably like, I'm just happy to be in the league, right? I mean, was that still, even though you guys were getting your, your, you know, your ass handed to you almost on a, on an, you know, given every night, were you still upbeat because of that? Because you were playing in the league going up against great players? I mean, you can look at it both ways. Um, I was obviously happy and ecstatic that I was in the NBA, but I kind of looked at myself and I'm like, you know, kind of get your shit together. Like if you are just like ecstatic to be here, that's your, you're, you're going to be gone soon. So I wasn't satisfied with just being there. I was, you know, I was hungry to, to get better, learn more. Um, and, and the losing was hard, you know, obviously my record in college at Arizona was, I, I think it was like 64 and like eight and, um, to lose that many, what, 72 games in one year. It was tough, but I feel like I played a ton of minutes and got valuable experience in that year. I, I wouldn't mind going back to a teammate that you had that is a, a great source of controversy in the league right now is, is Ben Simmons. And, and uh, you know, just, I don't know where you want to start with it, but I mean, is he taking unfair criticism for, uh, to, you know, is there just enormous piling on implying that he's the problem or a problem? Uh, or, you know, how do you see this whole thing with Ben and the free throws and the shooting? Yeah, I feel like he just has to go up to the free throw line and shoot him with confidence. You know, I've seen him go up there and shoot him with confidence. So it's not like he's never done it before. Um, I, I personally believe that he's taking unfair criticism because people are focusing on one thing. Does he have to shoot more? Probably so. But he's he was coming into the league. He wasn't. Uh, people, or I don't know if people were expecting him to average 25 points per game. Like he does a bit of everything in my opinion. And I think people are starting to forget that. Like he had 13 assists and, and me personally thought that he should have been def- nothing against Rudy Gobert, but he, I think Ben Simmons should have been a defensive player of the year. I mean, he guards one through five and in that game, he forced Trey young to, I think five for 23. So mm-hmm. if you're getting your team, you know, he has 13 assists where he can do that on a nightly basis because he has elite vision and he's guarding one through five. I mean, yeah, it, it was a, he didn't take enough shots, but he's doing his job. I've said this, TJ, and I know you got to be careful how you respond to it, but I've said, I feel like even Brett Brown and, and the Sixers management all the way down to the coaching staff years ago should have said, hey, you know what, Ben, every regular season game, we want you to take three threes or you're not playing next game. Like, like they had to do, and I don't know how you do that. I'm not sure. You know, I know Brett Brown came out publicly and said he wanted Ben to shoot more from three, this and that. And some of it falls on Ben, but I feel like some of it falls on everybody here because in order, in order to get better, you've got to do it during games. How much did you see him shoot threes in practice? Cause when I was there for, and I was there for plenty of shoot arounds, and whatnot of you guys when you came into Boston, you'd see him shooting threes. He just doesn't do it in games. Do you know why? 
Um, I mean, me personally, I've seen him work on his three after every practice, you know, after every shoot around. Um, but to your point, what you saying, like, he's not playing next game. He is just entirely too valuable to keep off the floor. Um, I get it. Yeah. From the moment, you know, he came into the league, our team won, I think, four, 48 to 50 games in his first two seasons. And, um, and that's without him having to shoot. I mean, I think people put, you know, this unfair pressure on him that he has to shoot a ton of threes. He has to shoot these shots, but he's getting guys wide open shots. He's guarding people one through five. He's getting out in transition and dunking the ball. I, I, I just, I feel like in the open floor, he's probably one of the hardest guys to guard in the NBA. And to me, I think he does his job at a really high level. You grew up in a basketball family, clearly. Dad was a noted coach. Uh, we talked to him in reference to Aunt Susie, a great player. Um, did, what, what, tell the rest of us who didn't grow up in, a, in, a, in that kind of an atmosphere what it was like. And did, 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 did you take it for granted? Did you realize there, were, there was another life out there that people weren't growing up in basketball families? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the best way I can put it is all of us had a ball in our hands since we could probably walk. We were in gymnasiums playing. You know, my dad has been a high school coach for 28 years. And from <clears> what I can remember, I've been going to his practices um, every single day, you know, from when I was little to when I graduated high school and, and stuff like that. But it was just basketball, basketball, basketball. And, and you say that there's another life out there, but <laughs> basketball is life for us. And, and, and that's how it's always going to be. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Great. All right, TJ, give me your favorite craziest Joel Embiid story because Jojo is a character like I first met him at Kansas and that personality is off the charts I know it may rub some people the wrong way I actually loved how how much he played through pain in the series and I don't think he got enough credit for that you know with a torn you know meniscus or whatever it was playing and I thought the one thing about him in that series there weren't a lot of smiles like it was a different Joel that you saw in that series. It was like all business, not talking crap, just, you know, again, just playing hard. It was probably because he was in so much pain too, but he understood the magnitude of it. Give me kind of what it's like to be a teammate of, of JoJo and, and also maybe your, your funniest or most memorable story. I mean, playing alongside him um, was incredible. You know, he empowers his teammates so much and, and gives them so much confidence. And, but like to witness his greatness on a nightly basis is it's remarkable. Um, you know, the stuff that he does, you shouldn't be able to do at his size. And to your point saying, you know, there wasn't a lot of smiles. He just looked extra motivated um, to kind of will his team to the next round. Obviously they came up short, but he was, he was remarkable in the series. Um, and you know, this, I think, you know, me pretty well. I'm a, I'm a competitor. Um, and he was illegal screening me in a pickup game. I think this was like my second year. This was going into his first year. Um, and he was setting illegal screens and I told him, um, you know, setting in another illegal screen, you're not going to like what happens next. Like, (laughs) like I'm going to do anything like, like, that's just, that's just me. Like thinking that, I'm going to do something to, to uh, mess with Joel. And he said another one 
And for some reason, I don't know why I tried to do this. I tried to pick them up <laughs> and I could only lift up like half of his leg. And I said, uh, this isn't going to end well for me. And he goes, it's all right, little guy. And I've never felt less of a human being than at that point. Uh, Joel, he, he, listen, he, he's a riot. I mean, he is. I remember being there for, for one of your, again, one of your shoot arounds. And after the shoot around, he's playing like soccer with the basketball or something like kicking. Did he do that all the time? And like ridiculous. It's almost like the ball's like hacky sack and he's jumping around kick. Like he is just so incredibly talented for his size at like anything he wants to do. No, he's incredibly skilled. Just, I mean, at, he picks up anything and he's good at it. He's one of those type guys. And, um, you know, I've seen him play soccer, like up close and personal. He's always, he's always talking about soccer and then kicking the, kicking the basketball around. It's like, like you see him just like juggling it with with his feet, his legs and like heading it. It's like, it's unbelievable. You know how skilled he is. You play with, Two of my favorite players. One that I know Jeff gets tired of me talking about. I love him. I love him. Okay, I know. No, no, I'm only kidding. Uh, we both love him. And and I, I'm a huge fan of his father as well. And that's where it all started. Mr. Sabonis, who had an amazing end to the season that went completely overlooked by the national media. What a month he had. Yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about uh, Domas. He is... I mean, he just does everything. He is our Swiss Army knife. He rebounds. He passes the ball. He scores. He sets good screens. I mean, I've never seen a guy that does so much for his team and not get the recognition. I mean, I know he was an all-star, but I feel like he needs to be talked about more. He does everything for our team. He's the hardest playing big man that I ever saw in college, TJ. I can honestly say that I've never seen anybody play harder. And then I saw him at a Celtics workout and he had never shot at Gonzaga. Like they didn't allow him to shoot from the perimeter. And I think he made 65 of a hundred threes at the Celtics workout. And I went up to him and I was like, Whoa, like I'm impressed. And he looked at me. He's like, no, no, that was horrible. Like I, I'm, I'm way better three points shooter than that. And I was shocked, but he is, I mean, the, the, the dude just plays so hard. Like you guys had a really good team. This past year, I think on paper, obviously everybody had their injuries, right? You have Miles, Karras didn't come, you know, obviously coming back from what he came from, it was going to take time. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like almost like the what if game, if we had been healthy all year, what we could have done? Yeah, I'm not like a big moral victory type guy. Like, you know, if what if this, what if that, but uh, if we're just talking about the truth, we never really played with a full team. You know, the moment we did, it would be for one or two games, a guy would go down. Um, you lose one of your best scores in TJ Warren for the entire year. Um, and, you know, and we just had to have that next man up mentality. And then um, obviously we trade Victor and didn't have Karras for a little bit. Um, lose Miles toward the end. Malcolm was out for a couple of weeks. And I just feel like none of us could, we could never get a rhythm with each other because of the injuries that we had. But um, you know, that happens sometimes and we're not going to make excuses. You know, we got to play better and, um, you know, it is what it is. You mentioned Malcolm. That's my other guy that I am. And I, I became, uh, I met him actually at a function in his senior year 
and became aware of his incredible off the court accomplishments and what an interesting person he is. But meanwhile, he averaged 21 points a game this year when, when, when a lot of people weren't looking. No, I, I, uh, honestly, I, I, like I said about, uh, Sabonis, um, not enough, Malcolm is not talked about enough either. <laughs> you know, he, his ability to score when we ask him to, you know, he never takes a bad shot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, if, if your point guard isn't taking bad shots, you know, you always give your team a chance to win and, and he's getting people the ball and he's a really, really good defender, really good. And to, for, to piggyback off what you said about his off the court stuff, you know, he's a great teammate, all this stuff. Um, great locker room guy, but he's just a great person, you know, with, with the stuff that he does with his foundation and the way he treats people. Um, you know, I consider him a, a great friend and um, it's a joy and an honor to play, play with alongside of him and, and to call him a friend. All right. So uh, since we're both here in Boston, we, we can't let you go without getting your reaction to, because I know what you thought of and what you do think of Brad Stevens, the coach. It shocked the heck out of all of us here. Not that Danny Ainge stepped down, no, but no. that Brad Stevens went from coaching to, to GM and that Brad Stevens will not be coaching basketball this year is just absolutely shocking to me. You know, again, you're in Indiana. So there, there is a little bit of a tie with Brad Stevens, who grew up in the area, uh, who you've coached, uh, you played against many times. How surprised were you when, when you heard the news? I mean, I was shocked. Um, you know, like, like you said, I think you know how I feel about him. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. And, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. It, it kind of stinks for the game that he's, he's, he's not going to be coaching. Um, you know, but uh, I'm happy for him in his new role and, and wish him nothing but the best. And, um, but I thought he was, he was one of the great coaches in our league and just a smart basketball mind and, um, good guy. I've talked to him a little bit. And like I said, wish nothing, him nothing but the best. And obviously Danny had an awesome career, have a lot of respect for him and wish him and his family nothing but the best as well. TJ, you've gone through the whole uh, ba- uh, athletic experience in basketball, uh, high school, AAU, college, transferring college uh, for a reason of, of competition, as I, I'm aware. You wanted to see a chance for, to get a chance to win a national championship. No offense to Duquesne, right? And um, et cetera. All right. You know what's going on with the, in the world with the, all this controversy about college and image and likeness. Of How do you see, you know, what's your feeling? You've gone through it. How do you observe this whole phenomenon of what's going on now with college sports and college basketball specifically? Um, you know, it, it kind of stinks because I, I feel like I, I love, I grew up watching college basketball, you know, the NCAA tournament and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I don't know enough about it. I, I try not to, once I left, I tried not to pay attention to it. Um, and I'll, so I can't really comment on it. I, you know, I don't want to say anything that's wrong, but you know, I love college sports. You know, I grew up, like I said, watching the tournament, going to the NCAA tournament. And I just want that to continue, um, for a long time. And, um, and, and, and that's really all I have to say. It's, it's, I don't really know too much about it. I'm going to totally shift gears. What was the toughest place to play in the Pac-10 for you? Pac-12, Pac-100, wherever, wherever, in in that league. What was the, what was the, what was the toughest for visiting Jim? Um, let me think here. Uh, 
you know, we wanted, we wanted a lot of places in, in, in the Pac-12. Um, you know, I would say because of the rivalry um, at Arizona State, um, it's, it's when, when we come to town, it's a really tough place to play. The crowd's hostile and, um, and, 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 it's, and, and it was. I think we lost both times I went there. Um, and it, it's a great rivalry. Disappointing. How do you lose twice to, to <laughs> come on, TJ? I knew you were going to have something to say about that, Jeff. I just absolutely knew it. Um, did they, did, let me one more question about the league. Did they still have the springy floor at Roscoe Maples Pavilion at Stanford, or have they, or have they, or did you play on a on a normal surface, as far as you know? <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember. But the fact that you said that, I I want to say someone talked about that. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not much of an athlete when I go out there, so I can't really tell much of a difference in, in the in the in the in the type of floor. I don't really jump off the floor that high, so right. um, I didn't really I couldn't really tell. All right, it was because it was very. No, I first I went there a couple of times, and it really was the, the phenomenon. I never and people at that time all talked about it. I just wondered. I'm just throwing these things out there. And Absolutely. one more question. One more question. What's the trip to Pullman, Washington, like? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, we, we, we would stay in Spokane where Gonzaga is and we would drive to uh, Pullman on the day of the game. And I, it, it, was, it was a lot of, a lot of open fields, I'll tell you or that. the Palouse. Much. It's called the Palouse. Yeah, it was a lot of open fields and kind of a boring drive. Nothing against, <laughs> nothing against that university, but a lot of open fields. All right, so TJ – um, you being an elite defender, tell me what you think of these new rules on non-basketball moves. I mean, Bob, listen, Bob spanned the decades of covering the league and how different it is now from years ago. And I actually want, after you answer that, I want to find out Bob Ryan's greatest defensive player he's ever seen. But first, like, what are your thoughts as a guy who likes to get up in dudes and, and, again, there's a lot of bailout offensive calls here, a ton of them. How, how much do you think this is going to change the NBA? Um, you know, I could talk about this for a while. Like you said, I like to, I like to pressure people. And um, it makes the game, you know, there's more points. I think that's what everybody wants is more points, more scoring. And, you know, when you're chasing over a guy, a guy over a screen, and he stops on a dime and you're going full speed, you, you have to stop or it's a foul. I just, I just don't really think that's a basketball play. It should, I don't think it should be a foul because what are you, what are we supposed to do? Not chase him over the screen. And then he stops and um, you know, but you can look at it both ways. It puts the ref in a tough, tough place and they have to make the call. Um, so you can look at it uh, both ways. Do you think it's going to, all these rules, do, do you think it's actually going to impact the game or, do you, or are you more in a wait and see mode to, to, to see how the refs actually officiate these? Yeah, I, I would like to see how they're going to officiate it um, and kind of go from there. I mean, I feel like there's point of emphasis each year and, you know, the, the, obviously they're going to take a look at this stuff and, and that's the first step. So kind of just wait and see and kind of go from there. Best player you've ever guarded? is who who's the toughest guy that again for better or worse you go up against you're, you're excited but you're like 
man, I don't want to deal with this dude. I mean, there, there's all the obvious ones out there. Um, but I, I've said this numerous times. My rookie year, um, Isaiah Thomas, when he was with the Celtics, I, uh, I've never felt more helpless guarding someone. Um, and, my, and it was like one of those things where like Brad kind of saw like snipped blood in the water and was like, you know, we score, he scored on me on, on one play and the next five possessions down, you know, run it again and run it again, run it again, run it again. And I think he scored on or assisted on all five of those. And I had a long walk back to the bench and I was like, wow, that was very humbling. What just happened to me. Who's the best player, Bob, you've ever seen? Best defender. All right, we have to take seen. all the big shot blocking centers and put them on the side. That's a whole other category. You know, in fact, I don't think that they should be eligible for player for defensive player of the year, much like pitchers shouldn't be eligible for MVP. They have Cy Young. They should have a, a big guy shot blocking player of the year. Okay. Um, Dennis Rodman was, you know, in the discussion. Draymond Green is in the discussion. All right. Well, let me tell you somebody that, uh, in my experience uh, with the Celtics, just uh, you know, that would be so perfect in today's game in so many ways. He, he was a, he, he guarded every, it's six foot eight and, and a half. He guarded everybody from seven three and seven four. Could switch off on any guard of his time at any time and and busted his ass forty eight minutes or however minutes out there. Dave Cowens was an amazingly underrated defensive player. Oh, TJ, you would have so loved. Any of you guys would have so loved seeing this guy and playing with this guy. Uh, you talk about effort, but I mean, so there's a, there's some examples right there, but I just really believe that, that they defensive player of the year, you know, he had blocks and shot. That's a category. That's a, you know, we're talking about guys who can guard a variety of people and all. And so there's some of the names that come to mind. And, and, and I, and I agree with you, um, you know, and again, I'm a big fan of Rudy Gobert. Um, but like I said before, Ben Simmons, has guarded one through five the entire year. And that's, and that's just so impressive to me. If you're able to guard one through five, it, it's just, it puts you at such an advantage and helps your team so much. And there's a guy that I feel like isn't talked about enough in the defensive player of the year discussion. And it's drew holiday. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, he is honestly one of the best defenders I've ever seen. And, um, you know, I talked about this again with JJ Reddick yesterday on his podcast and, you know, I don't have Kyrie's handle. I don't have Steph's handle, not even close. And But guys just don't take the ball off me very often. And he's done it numerous times. And he makes it look effortless. And he does it to a lot of people. I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves in the defense event. Well, listen, uh, we appreciate you stopping by, TJ. Uh, really do. And I don't know if you remember that phone call, but I will, I'll <laughs> never forget it uh, coming from you after you graduated. And uh, – you know, to me, I'll also never forget walking in that locker room and, and seeing you in Boston and seeing the smile. And um, I know free agency is, is coming for you here soon. I don't know how nervous you are uh, or, or maybe excited because you're hopefully going to get paid and you've established yourself in the league as, as one of the best backup uh, point guards. I know you give me shit still for saying that, you know, Markel Fultz, they should have drafted Markel Fultz because uh, – you were starting at that point, but um, but you, you know he's what a, I he's think. A, he's a, he's a dear friend of mine, by the way, and he's yes. he's great. And Bob, that wouldn't be the first time that you know in college, uh, Jeff would always say I'm not a top point guard in the NCAA, and I'm just giving him a hard time right now. But um, you know, 
you, you guys are great. And, and, and thanks for having me on and, and well, to talk about free agency. Um, last time was, I didn't know what to expect. So I was waiting by my phone, stressing out, you know, I, I'm going to take a nice little vacation right before free agency and kind of just relax my mind, clear my mind, and just get away and spend time with my family. Well, if you want to come to 617, I'll pick you up at the airport. Okay. That's a deal. I appreciate that. I, I might take you up on that. <laughs> Listen, take, take care of uh, the five-month-old. Change some diapers. Help your wife. Uh, because, you know, Lord knows you don't do enough of it during the season. So now's the time. Pick up the slack a little bit. I'm, and, I'm, uh, I'm a hands-on dad, just so you know. <laughs> I, actually, I do know that. I do know that uh, from, from Doug McDermott. So I, I, I'm well aware and... Uh, Again, enjoy, enjoy fatherhood, enjoy free agency, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. But good luck and uh, enjoy the offseason. So Thanks, long. guys. Thanks for having me. Bye, you TJ. got it. Thanks, TJ. All right. That was a, a great interview with TJ McConnell. Like I said, Bob, one of my favorite guys. because I can see why. Yeah, just why. a true professional. He actually didn't let loose as much as he does. I, I think TJ is always the type of guy that doesn't want to offend anybody. You can <laughs> tell. Um, that's just not him. But he does have – I forgot to ask him about it, what he uses in his hair. We, we have plenty of other stuff <laughs> that we can uh, we, we can talk to TJ about next time. But let, let's get to the playoffs a little bit here. Um, and, again, this, this Phoenix Clippers series, TJ feels like you can't count the Clippers out because they've come back from down 2-0. I just feel like this, this Phoenix team right now has multiple weapons – they're getting one back in Chris Paul that they've already shown they can win without. And campaign has been awesome this Boy, year. I mean, he was awesome. in China. He was in China last year. Awesome um, story. I, I, I'm watching him and going, what's going on here? How can this, I mean, he's making it look easy. He's making it like natural and normal. And I mean, how many times are you going to let him go to the hoop, go to his left and go to that hoop and throw that scoop shot up there. Um, plus making threes. Oh my God. Uh, who, who gets their career high? In playoffs, and, 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 you know, after the career that he went through, that laundry list of teams. Now, it, yeah, they're, but I'm going to just not put my hand on the stove yet because I want to give sufficient respect to the Clippers. They have proven what they can do. But how many times can you do that? Yes, that. And also, you um, I got to give credit to an old friend of mine, Aileen Boisant, um, in Santa, Sacramento, who before this series started, said the, the Suns are going to win because the Clippers cannot handle DeAndre Ayton. They can't. And they so can't. far, she's been correct. Well, that's that's the problem. I mean, you look at the Clippers team, and I know, you know, you see Reggie Jackson's been great in the playoffs, oh. and Terrence Mann stepped up, but it's like, how long can that last? You know, the, the Suns have three guys, when they get Chris Paul back, that are all potential all-star players, right? I mean, Chris yeah. Paul, Devin Booker, and now you've seen Ayton, who's still scratching the surface of, of, of what he can do. Um, I just, listen, Phoenix has as good a chance as anybody to win this whole thing. And if they do, man, the, the, the monkey off the back for, for Chris Paul would be huge. And it, it would, yeah. it would catapult Devin Booker and just that franchise that has been so irrelevant for so long. And, and we got to give credit to a former podcast guest here, Ryan McDonough for drafting. Yes. Deion oh, Ray, yes. For I drafting that. Devin Booker. For, for for drafting, uh, well, for trading for Bridges. I mean, he, he he did a heck of a job putting that team together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, by the way, all right, let's get – I'll talk about that game last night a little bit. 
and all the ins and outs that, that you know, are, we're, everybody's going to forget because of how it ended. And we saw how it ended. Um, number one, if the Suns had lost, Booker would have had goat horns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the offensive foul was a stupid time of the game to even create the impression when you know when you put your arm out there and you're playing an elite yeah. defender who flopped. Who flopped and got away with it at a every time? Moment. You're not getting that call. A, B, the dumb defensive foul, needless, fighting through that pick supposedly. Now you don't, you you can't do that now. C, he loses the ball on the baseline. Yeah, he loses the ball. Uh, yeah, he threw in the one shot. They had the matching back up that he and he and George played. You know, one up some chip on the. But Booker would have been. They would. You would have had it. Yeah. So he's very lucky. Very <laughs> lucky boy. And and I we mentioned with. Uh, with TJ, if this if the Clippers win, Patrick Beverly's contribution was enormous, yeah. both ends of the floor. But you know, and it, I would, am I not correct that he had a DNP in the playoffs or very close? Yeah, to- or he played a couple minutes, like yeah, but a, yeah. Oh, and, and de facto DNP, maybe a minute, you know. Uh, and he's come back from that anyway. Uh, so many things in that game, but I I mentioned it. But did you did it go through your mind as it did mine that I pointed out that when that incredible sequence that that Aiton came up with that Cassidy Hubbard was doing her thing which wasn't her call and doing her thing and doing her thing and doing her thing and I'm thinking Van Gundy has got to be exploding desperately wanting to rhapsodize about what we were watching which was in those situations where you're doing sideline and and I forget what was she talking about at that point I don't even remember but, oh, but it was but it was on and on. I've laid out. I remember I've had those moments when I've done college games sideline and something huge happens and you just you lay out. You just lay out at that point and 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 let either, you know, those guys take it. But, but let, let's just for people who might not have seen this uh you know game and I reckon uh, you know, here's what happened in 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 three sequence and up and down up and down sure. first of all Aiton makes a phenomenal a beautiful block but then saves the ball going out of bounds and as good a play of that nature as you will ever see okay by a seven foot guy a b goes to the other end and converts an alley oop in rush hour traffic you know 405 east west side highway Boston Expressway rush hour traffic, amazing, and then on the next possession he gets makes a back tap of an offensive rebound in traffic for a basket. Three incredible. All this is while Cassidy Hubbard is, is yeah, doing no, her thing. ridiculous. Anyway, ridiculous. it was a great example of what his physical skills are. What a game! Um, all right, so we got this Milwaukee Atlanta series uh, where nobody thought. Atlanta would be in this series. I mean, nobody, you know, the expectation was we'd probably see at the beginning of the year, you know, it'd be Milwaukee, Brooklyn, right? It'd be Milwaukee, yes. Brooklyn. And, and obviously, oh, Atlanta, we wouldn't have been surprised if they lost to the Knicks. Are you kidding me? That was a toss up series. We, listen, we were, we're surprised that Atlanta was in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. beginning of the year, you never thought, but no, the pieces around Trey Young fit together. They've got enough shot makers. Kevin Herter was terrific. Uh, in a game that they needed him to be. How about Kevin Herter, who would, who would uh, zero, zero, zero in at least one game, I remember, and, yeah. I, and then shows up with a desperate – he did what Joe Harris didn't do. Right. Made shots. Made shots. Kevin Herter's like this. He's just even keel, doesn't get rattled, 
Love the kid. Love the kid. Um, does Atlanta have a shot here, Bob, or, or, or is this just going to be Milwaukee in, in five or six games? Probably Milwaukee in five or six yeah. games, I, I think. But, but I mean, once again, he won't be stunned. But by well, the way, got... i got to point out something about the nature of this series. Yeah. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, they began life as the Milwaukee Hawks. I don't know if people realize this. I Bob Pettit was a rookie for the Milwaukee Hawks. They actually started life as the Tri-Cities Hawks in 1949. Right. And um, that's the team that Red Auerbach was fired by Ben Kerner as coach. Anyway, they, they, they were the Milwaukee Hawks, then the St. Louis Hawks, yep, and are now the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, then we have the Milwaukee Bucks, who were an expansion team in 1968. So what I'm going to say is this is almost Milwaukee being a, a connecting thread uh, here. Uh, you know, we... Uh, Kind of an inter-squad scrimmage, actually. And anyway, Milwaukee Hawks. So before we uh, before we get going here, um, yeah. let, let's touch for a minute on the NBA draft lottery. Um, and certainly, you look at it in Houston. Houston did not. Detroit got the number one pick, which yeah. again, I mean, listen, Detroit needs so much. I think it's a it's a foregone conclusion they're going to take Kate Cunningham. Um, who, who's a terrific player. You know, the, the best comparison I have for him is Luca, in that they're both big, strong point guards, but not really – like, they're, they're just whatever you want them to be. They're basketball players. Correct. Correct. Basketball players. Yeah, they're not yeah, that, point guards. They're just you – know, we, we always have to put everybody in a box and give them right. a number. We're, they're, we just, he's a basketball player. There are four players at the top of this draft, in my opinion, Bob, and when you talk to all the NBA guys, okay? There, there's yeah. four guys that you look at. Kay Cunningham, I think, is one. Then after that, Houston's got the number two pick, and they're going to have a dilemma because there's three guys you could take, and they're all very different. The one we know is Jalen Suggs. He's the Don't one we know the best because he's a point guard out of Gonzaga who had a great season, but he was up and down at times, and he's a streaky shooter, and Still has to learn to be a better decision maker, but you know he's a big, strong, athletic point guard who's shown great court vision. He's shown the ability to make shots. I don't know if Houston takes them at number two because they have John Wall. I'm I'm not sure that's yeah. their biggest need. Their biggest need might be Evan Mobley, Mobley. A, a skilled forward out of USC who's seven feet and man, he can do it all. I mean, he's got everything in his arsenal. The biggest question I've always had for Evan Mobley was like, how much does he love the game and how tough is he going to be? But man, he played so well. So those are the the guys we know. And the guy we don't know is, is Jalen Green, who played for G League Ignite, who's a 6'5 wing. He's super athletic, Bob. He shot the ball well. He was great in the 15 games or so they played in the bubble for the, for, for the G League. So those are your top four. And, and again, I think Cade is a... a a given to go number one after that Houston, Cleveland, Toronto, Toronto was the big winner in the lottery because they moved up to four, Bob. Mm -hmm. And to me, one, two, three, like two, three, and four, it's all kind of beauty in the eyes of the beholder Mm -hmm. or what you need. Yeah. Who you think is going to be that star. But I think all three of those guys, really all the top four have a chance to be all-stars. I hadn't realized realized that the last, number one pick the Pistons had was Bob Lanier in 1970. And, 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 and Woj, Woj, is a proud Bonnie. <laughs> and he got that one in there. That was great. 
but I had forgotten that and uh, that Detroit's been, but, but boy, they've had a, mis- ever since they won that championship, it's been, you know, they haven't won a playoff game since 08 and, and they haven't, and they've been bad. They've been, so yeah, we'll see if that sparks any interest in the, in the motor city. I would say if I'm Houston, I actually don't know what I do. I mean, again, you have John Wall at a ton of money, so you're probably not drafting Jalen Suggs. So I think then it comes down. And we know how right now, like a Jalen Green, could he be like a Donovan Mitchell type? Not a great shooter, but an athletic wing. Mm-hmm. Those are what is like the, the biggest commodity right now, I feel like, in the NBA is that, right? A guy who you can give the ball to and then they can make a play off the bounce. Not we saw a point guard. We saw in the last 20 seconds yesterday, you know, with taking turns, you know, Booker and Paul George took turns, yeah. took turns doing just that, you know, where you can create the space and get the shot anytime you want, quote unquote. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valuable thing to, to have. And we just haven't seen enough of Jalen Green yet to, to, to know exactly how good he is. But uh, yeah. all right, well, listen, we'll, we'll come back next week. Maybe we can get a, a, a Phoenix Sun on. Uh, if, if they wrap this thing up early, we'll try to get like Frank Kaminsky, who's not getting a ton of minutes in Phoenix. We'll try to get him on a little bit, uh, if we can, but, uh, thanks to TJ McConnell. Um, one of the best I've met doing this and, and just the ultimate grinder. Uh, but make sure you subscribe, make sure again, wherever you listen to your pods, make sure you watch the pod, uh, when we stream it and, uh, we'll be back next week.